Love Talk Radio. knife in their back or a gun in their face or a chain on their feet? Can anyone breathe who cannot be taught to read, who cannot congregate in groups, 
who receive inferior health care and who die in the streets. Can anyone breathe who earns less than their peers or who must live only where they're allowed and cannot marry who they please and throw in crumbs to eat? Can anyone breathe when the government fails and the men are in jail and when chaos prevails and the president tweets? But new breath is coming, new air in our lungs, a country suffocated by its own hatred, gasping and dying, is now on life support building walls around itself when the real poison is in its own veins. Can anyone breathe? In the words of the greatest president of our lives, yes, we can. Thank you, Lorraine, for your poem, Can Anyone Breathe?, and for helping us to pause a regularly scheduled podcast to discuss the police brutality that led to the anti-racism protests that followed the May 25th killing of George Floyd. An unarmed black man in Minneapolis who pleaded for air as a white police officer pressed a knee into his neck. I am Max Zedek, otherwise known as Mr. Divabetic, and tonight we're sharing our thoughts and our feelings about what happened, how we got to this point, what the obstacles to reform have been, and what we could do going forward. Joining me on this open forum are Patricia Addy Gentle, poet Lorraine Brooks, Jeff James, Keith Anthony Fluitt, and Lisa Chester Weir. And you, that's where you could call in to voice your comments at 347 215 8551. Again, that's 347-215-8551. Lorraine, Lorraine, I wanted to start by praising you because um, probably no other time in our history does the concept of uh, language matter mean more than it does today. And uh, at the same time, most of us having a hard time expressing what we're going through and what we're feeling. And somehow you've managed to put your words down in that poem, which I just think is so powerful. I just uh, wanted to get your feedback on what the process was like for you to do this and how, how you know, what what are you thinking? Well, wow. Um, it was very difficult for me to write, I have to say that. I have been struggling for the last, you know, week and a half, as I'm sure many of us have been. And I've been watching television and watching CNN and talking to my friends and um, seeing things posted on social media and feeling, you know, a lot of ways. I've been on an emotional roller coaster. I'm angry. I'm sad. I'm scared. I'm disappointed. I'm a lot of things. And when you asked me if I would write a poem. Um, I, of course, I said yes, because I always say yes. And then I think about it, and I thought, well, 
I don't know if I really can write a poem. And, and I almost didn't. Um, I almost was going to call you and say, you know, Max, I, I just, you know, I just can't do this. But then I watched George Floyd's funeral this afternoon. And um, how moving it was, how 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 dignified people were, how uh, thoughtful they were. I happen to love Al Sharpton, and I think he gave a great eulogy. And it got me to thinking that if if those people can be, you know, can act in a, in a dignified way and can and can go through what they went through today. And everyone could be there to support them the way they did today, then surely I can write a poem. So that's how it happened. I didn't I didn't actually sit down to write the poem until about maybe an hour and a half ago. And um uh you know, I it 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 just got me uh, it got me thinking and it got me feeling and I appreciate you for that. I appreciate all the topics that you give me to write on because they really make me think and they really make me examine myself and, and what I want to say. And I, and I really appreciate you for that, Max. Thank you. Thank you for giving me that opportunity to express myself. Thank you. And, you know, Keith, I mean, a lot of people on social media are posting about, you know, this is a difficult time and in difficult times we tend to turn to uh, movies and books and music and that's when we really rely on artists. You are a singer-songwriter yourself. What emotions are at the forefront of your heart and, my, and head today? Um, like Lisa, my emotions are everywhere all at once. I, I go from hot to cold, up to down, you know, sideways, Emotions are everywhere, and then watching the funeral uh, this afternoon just heightened all of my emotion, you know, from just being thankful that uh, folks are finally getting it, but also being mad that it took this for folks to actually and actually do something, you know, make a move on it. And I was speaking this for at least two years that folks, you know, it's not gonna, it's not gonna be until, you know, we all come together and just have a, a, a march and, you know, do something like that for folks to actually get what we're, what we're trying to say, what, what we're trying to, you know, get across to everyone. You know, so it's finally happening, and folks are finally getting it. So, I'm just filled with a just a bunch of emotion, and I'm I'm just trying to handle it properly, because you know, in, in one moment I, I'm fine, the next moment I'm breaking down, the next moment I want to punch a wall, the next moment. So, I, as for, musically, I haven't written anything about it uh, yet, but. Um, I'm constantly in thought, so I know at some point something will come out pertaining to what's happening now, to what we're all going through right now and feeling right now. And um, Jeff James, you know, you're on vacation, so I appreciate you making the time for tonight, but I challenge you, like Lorraine, to kind of help us find the music to talk about tonight and, and for this special show. I'm just wondering, like, 
where where you are today with some of your thoughts and and what how yeah. what messages you were looking for in the music to help us do this podcast? Well, you know, for me, uh, just feeling to- totally devastated this past week and a half, totally exhausted, and uh, and just. The music trying to express, you know, some kind of comfort, but also some kind of act- activism, just something to prove a point because music is so important to to how we feel, and and, and you know, if we can't express it ourselves, hopefully through the music, who can do that for us? I mean, picking these songs, uh, I'm hoping that we can sit back, we can learn, we can listen, and just keep keep an open mind. Um, Lisa, your mother, and uh, I want to know from your personal standpoint, again, like just check in with us first as yourself and then as a wife and a mother and, you know, all of us, sisters, brothers, aunts, uncles, and everything, like how how, how are you seeing this moment, this movement? Well, I have, um, you know, I'm an African-American woman and I have two sons, so when these types of things happen, it hits really close to home. You know, I, w- I was talking to my one of my sons, and he, you know, I, I was like, hey, what are you doing this weekend? And he's like, well, you know, I, I don't want to go outside because I don't want to, you know, catch COVID. I don't want to go take my dog for a walk because I don't want someone to accuse me of trying to, you know, attack them. I don't want, you know, there's this feeling of being overwhelmed and exhausted um, and, you know, trying to, you know, talk to your black sons about what, you know, the world is all about. But on the same hand, I'm very hopeful because the, the crowds that have come out in demonstration and peaceful demonstration have been multiracial. They've been all ages. They've been, they really seem to get it. So um, I want to thank Lorraine for pushing through and, and, and doing that poem today because it was just expressed everything that, you know, a lot of us are feeling, you know, these days. Patricia, you're a mother as well, and I think you're a new grandmother. So how how do you look at this moment and this movement, and, and how are you today? Um, I am trying to be well. And, yes, our, I think we all have emotions that are all over the place. As an African-American uh, woman, uh, I do have daughters, but I have son-in-laws, and I have two uh, male grandkids So I too Am feeling some sort of way And it's The kind of lessons that you just Never hope that you have to teach And the kinds of Tragedies that you hope You never have to witness But I've seen a lot And I just have a feeling That you know it, It's going to continue for a while But out of tragedies start, and it's usually a tragedy 
that has the most impactful type of movement. And I do feel like change is coming, that things are different. I was um, looking at the funeral service today as well, and I was impressed uh, when I listened to the minister who was a part of the initial civil rights movement, uh, Bill Lawson, William Lawson, and he talked about how when he first started in the movement, how he could see, um, he marched, he walked, and he spoke from his wheelchair. So he was saying that he had marched and, and walked with Dr. King and how most of the marches were African Americans only. Most of the protesters were African American, but now as he watches and he sees from his TV screen that there are multiplicity of all races, and so that's a big change that he has witnessed. So I see out of this that change is coming. It's slow, 1955 until now, that's 60 years, but um, 65 years, but it's been very slow, but change has been appreciated, but we still have so far to go. I echo that. I mean, this month is, in June is Pride Month, and um, and I am a cisgender, a cisgender gay white man, and um, you know I somehow been programmed to kind of dismiss the ally because unless the ally doesn't show up, lets me down, or disappoints me, I don't really give them the respect they I think they deserve. And when I think of my own rights as a gay man, how many allies have come together to make my life better. It was in that moment of watching that video so many times, of hearing the helicopters and the sirens outside of my house all night for several nights in a row, that I made a decision that I wanted to, I, I want to claim the role of ally. And I don't want, uh, and I just want to be, I, I think that idea right now uh, I'm supposed to be uncomfortable because if I'm uncomfortable, I'm helping make that bridge and bringing more people into the conversation like tonight and other days in my life. And I, and I just feel that allies um, right now in this movement are critical, and there's so many ways, as we'll be talking about tonight, that people could get involved in this. And maybe it's just even having a conversation with someone about that. So um, Lorraine, you know, a lot of thought leaders have stated that as long as the media and country are focused on, on the what and not why we're protesting, uh, specifically referring to the riot and looting when we talk about the what, uh, things won't change. What's your opinion on that? Well, I think it's absolutely correct. Um, I think this is just a symptom and um there's a there's a you know there's a disease that exists in this country and has uh for um centuries really and uh I also believe that if this event had not been filmed had not been uh broadcast had not been um, literally filmed live as, as it was happening, that I don't think we still would be having this conversation i I hate to be a um uh, a naysayer, or I hate to, you know, to, to to say that, to have to say that, 
But I really believe that unless it was this blatant and unless it was this egregious, I don't think we would even be having these conversations now. Um, but I, but I think this is something that has that people of color have always known. Uh, people of color have always been subject to. People of color have always had to bury um, people who have been killed at the hands of the police. This is nothing new for us. Um, and I'm, I, I absolutely agree with the fact that um, this is just a, a, a tip of the huge iceberg that we have never really faced in this country. Um, and uh, I, I can only hope that moving forward, and you, you already are seeing it happen, as, as Patricia and Lisa and everybody else said, you're already seeing it happen that this is a this is a real rainbow coalition now. It's not just people of color or just you know um, a small group of, of of freedom fighters or whatever uh, they used to be called. This is this is a worldwide movement now. I have I have cousins uh, and family in Europe. I have cousins in in the UK and in the Netherlands and in France. And they're saying the same thing. They're saying that they're seeing exactly the same kind of movement there, the same kind of protest there, the same kind of outrage. And um, so this this isn't going to go away anytime soon. And um, we, we've got we've got to do better. Um, and Jeff James, you know, a lot of people are having yeah. conversations uh, that I know about. Um, is this happening more, or are we seeing it more? You're, you saw that video, um, and you and you spoke before this podcast about the effect it had on you. What do you say to people who are who are who are having that discussion? We are seeing it. We're seeing it more. I mean, only because people are now videotaping, which is which is such a big change. I mean, to 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 actually have to witness. You know the this and the the, the Arbery case and yeah we're, we're we're seeing it more because people are actually videotaping and and obviously not caring that they're being videotaped. I mean we witnessed a modern day lynching and and that's that's what's so disturbing and that's what's hitting on so many different levels. Uh, I mean it's you know the I don't know what else to say on it. I think that's fine. You know, uh, one of the biggest changes I think happening as we speak is happening in the D.C. area, Lisa, with uh, your mayor, Muriel Browser. I mean, this is a uh, – she made a, a bold statement earlier this week. How did you react to uh, Black Lives Matter being painted on 16th Street, I believe? Is that Avenue or Street? Am I getting yes. that wrong? Yes, it's, it's right there um, – by the White House, and there's a lot of significance to the location, not just because it's at the, um, you know, the White House by the park where a lot of the demonstrators have been congregating, but it's also right by Freedom, um, I mean, the Lafayette Park. It used to be a um, a place where they used to hold slave auctions, and they used to um, you know, uh, bid on the slaves, many of them who helped build the White House. So, you know, it it has 
meaning it has so much more meaning the you know the location and um what is going on in our history and we're calling her badass bowser that's what we're calling her <laughs> and uh you know that that's you know i, I mean this, I, I'm just, I, do you think it would have something like this would have happened if you were uh if mayor bill de blasio was the mayor of D.C.? I mean, this is, to me, like, you know, here we have a, a female mayor and we have an African female mayor, and this happened. I mean, I can't help but think, like, what what a tremendous statement voters made when they elected her, and now she's in a position where she could do something just like that. Indeed. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Indeed. Yeah, and it's, you know, really... uh, Patricia, you have you have Mayor Keisha Lance Bottoms down in Atlanta. I mean, how how do you feel she has been uh, dealing with this? I've seen her on several shows myself, and also, you know, uh, in this moment with this movement, has it does it resonate with you having Mayor Keisha Lance Bottoms in your uh, city? Most definitely, most definitely. I was so impressed with her. You know, I have been just uh, becoming uh, a person who is really aligning with her thoughts because uh, the the night of the protest when things got out of hand and there was looting and um, damage to property and police cars being set on fire, and she did her speech when she actually went out amongst the people and she um was talking about you know she said you know I I am a black woman I have children I told my son that I can't save you I can't help you you need to be at home so wherever you are you need to come home and she said and that's exactly what I'm telling these young people go home you need to go home and then she had um celebrities with her who uh, whose voice probably was heard a little bit more stronger by someone who was not a politician. So she allowed uh, T.I., the rapper, and, and Killer Mike to take the podium, and, and they were just on fire. They did a very good job. But she has really come out and made a big statement, and I believe it's because of her leadership and because of the statements and because of the way that she has actually mingled amongst the people is the reason why protests have become more peaceful and the National Guard are no longer needed. So I just uh, see her as an awesome mayor for the city of Atlanta. And, you know, Lorraine, I know you from living in Brooklyn, so I forget that you're also in the D.C. area. But this is, before we get to uh, Jeff, James, and I all live in New York, but before we go there, I want to ask you about this, because also in this time of what's happening right now in this moment, Ella Jones was elected the first black mayor in Ferguson, Missouri. So, I mean, when when you talk about, when you're reflecting as you do with your poems and think about these things and watch uh, George Floyd's uh, funeral memorial service today, um, I'm curious, like, how you react to these these women making such bold move, 
moves and, and statements within their elected offices and realizing that this wasn't, hasn't traditionally been historically our story. Um, I, I think it's indicative that, that that we're changing as a society. I think we're recognizing that um, powerful, strong, smart, and capable people come in all stripes. And um, I think it's wonderful that women are being elected and are participating in politics. I'm a big fan of um, Mayor Bowser in, in D.C., um, I think it was absolutely poetic justice to paint Black Lives Matter on 16th Street. Uh, I didn't see that coming, and I think it's a wonderful thing. It's a wonderful statement, and um, I think it takes a, a lot of um, courage and a lot of, um, you know, chutzpah to, to to do something like that. And uh, she knows exactly what she's doing and why and what the significance of it is. I'm also a big fan of Stacey Abrams and a, a lot of other very strong black women who are involved in politics now. I think it's been a long time coming, and I'm really glad to see it happening. I, as a black woman myself, I am so glad to see this happening. I remember back when Barbara Jordan was up and coming. I'm that old. And um, Barbara Jordan made a fantastic keynote address at the uh, um, Democratic National Convention. I, I'm forget what year it was, but she uh, made such an impact, and unfortunately she became ill and she passed away not too long afterwards. But um, now we ha- we see a new crop of really strong and articulate black women who are going to make a, a change in this country, and I couldn't be happier. Me either, and Jeff, James is going to point you right in the direction of telling us about our next song from the woman who who says women rule the world, Beyonce. But before we do that, I just want to say when we come back, we're going to be talking about how the situation, right, the moment, the movement is affecting our health with everyone on the panel. So, uh, Jeff, you chose our next song. Uh, tell us a little bit about it. Yeah, well, it's Freedom by uh, Beyonce and Kendrick Lamar. And what I love about Beyonce, you know, you don't really see her in interviews. I mean, that that's like, it's, it's her preference. But when it comes to her music, she is so vocal and so powerful in that. And and you know, she is a pop star. Let's not get it. Let's call it what it is. She's she's a mega star, not just an urban artist, but just a pop star. And I feel that like freedom has a lot to say in how we feel right now. Here's Freedom by Beyonce.
focus on George Floyd and talk about produce, uh, police brutality and the Black Lives Matter movement. Um, I, I wanted to st- we're going to move into how it's affecting our health. But first, just James, tell everyone how they could get uh, these songs. There's a special Sony put together an incredible playlist on Spotify. Tell us about that. Yeah. Thank you, Max. Yeah, we we put together uh, for for because it is Black Music uh, Month. Uh, we put together a, a playlist called Black Power uh, 2020. Uh, the, the artwork says Black unapologetically, and it has a lot of really strong artists on there, like you know Beyonce, but it also has like Nina Simone, and and I. I I developed it with with one of my coworkers, and then we felt like we needed to have a strong statement. So there's stuff on there. There's Public Enemy. There's uh, you know with with very strong messages. There's uh, Boogie Down Productions. You know, uh, Sound of the Police. But, but I'm really proud of it, and I, and I feel that it, it definitely represents what's happening right now. Thank you. All right, so we want to talk a little bit about how this is affecting our health. And this whole moment, you know, we've been surrounded by a pandemic. So, Keith, uh, Keith, you have been open about living with type 2 diabetes on this podcast, some of your health struggles. What, is, what has this been like for you? Uh, for me, it's just, uh, <clears throat> it's, I guess like everybody else, it's just time to get things in order, put things in place, put things in its prop in its proper place. Uh for me I've just been organizing my life, reorganizing what is next for me, um, carrying on with the things that I was doing before but just doing it in, inside health wise as far as, you know, exercising and taking my medication and just being on top of myself, eating properly and stuff like that, cooking more, even more at home and buying fresh produce and just staying on top of myself, being accountable for what I'm putting in my body so I can think, see, hear more clear, you know, um, just making sure that I'm on point for whatever whatever uh, journey is for me, you know, just making sure that I'm prepared for whatever comes my way. Um, that, and you've had I'm, a lot on your way because you know you we you've spoken to me and we said we could talk about just the struggle with unemployment and making that happen. How tell us a little bit about that and then you know the struggle is real with all of that and then how how has that impacted your health? Well, thank God for me it 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 it, it hasn't um, hurt me my health in any way shape, form, or fashion, but I can see how people with some type of issue, health issue, how that can just, this whole unemployment situation, the pandemic, everything can just take them, take push them over the edge with because it's just stress. It's, it's um, a highly stressful thing to be dealing with. I dealt with it myself for close to eight weeks before getting any kind of response, and then when I thought I was getting a response, it was the wrong response. It's just a, a cycle that this whole system takes you through, and they keep saying that they, they're working on it and they're fixing it, but it, it, uh, I'm talking to people today that still are in the same position I was in a few weeks ago where you can't get 
the only thing that you need to get from someone is, is to speak to someone because you can't get in what you need. You can't get it off of the computer, and uh, and it tells you it keeps putting pushing you back to this number to speak to someone because they're saying on the computer your papers aren't filled out properly and you need to speak to someone. And when you try to call that number to speak to a representative, of course the number's busy. And if you do get someone, like when I got the one time that I did get someone, I got someone who was just hired, and they were just hired to tell people, we'll call you back. We can't give you any information. We can't tell you if you're even in the system. We can't do anything for you but just take your information and say that we'll call you back. We can't say when we'll call you back, who's going to call you back, when the call will come, and none of that. You know, so it's just very stressful, highly stressful. Um, thank God I had folks like you guys to just vent, you know, and, and, and other folks that were going through the same thing. We can we just used each other to vent and try other, you know, what, if, so, if something worked for someone, hey, this worked for me, I called this number, or I went on the computer and did this and it directed me here. So, you know, we all have to help one another with this situation because it isn't it isn't any better. The more and more they say they're they're working on it and it's getting better, it really isn't. It really isn't. So you just have to stay in the struggle like everything else. Just stay in the struggle and eventually things will come through. Even when it does come through, that's even going to – each step has some type of issue that you have to deal with. So even when it looks like you're getting closer, you are getting closer, but you will be at a standstill at each step you take. And Patricia, as long as we've been podcasting, it's almost been 10 years, I don't think we ever can give enough attention to how what what, uh, Keith just uh, described, the stress, anxiety, and emotions play into managing your diabetes and how they affect your blood sugar. I mean, most of the time, people just talk about food and exercise. But this moment right now where several months ago, starting in in March, every person with diabetes was being hit over the head with a constant message of you're at risk, you're at risk, you're at risk, and then dealing with these issues of what we just heard Keith say about employment as well as health insurance and and, um, quality of life. I mean, this this is real for people with diabetes. Talk a little bit about why why the stress, why the anxiety, how these things affect our blood sugars, and why we have to really uh, be attuned to that and maybe even journaling about that as much as we may be journaling about our food or exercise or when we're taking our medication. Absolutely, and you hit it. Um, when the body is under stress, then um, adrenaline causes insulin resistance, and the two hormones just don't work well together when there's excess of adrenaline. And people who are stressed really have a hard time dealing with those numbers. Um, it's just almost next to impossible to get good readings and to. Um, have stable readings. They fluctuate a lot. So it is very important to address the depression or the whatever the stress is. It's very important to address that, whether it's to, um, you know, do a virtual appointment with whomever your caregivers are. You might need to get um, recommendations or referrals to counselors, um, 
and, and there's nothing wrong with talking to someone who is able to help you to deal with the stress. But so often, and especially in African-American community, stress, depression, and those types of anxiety-related um, diagnoses are swept under the rug. We don't address them. We don't talk about them. A lot of people feel like that's something that I just have to deal with. And, of course, they go downhill because we were talking about if you have uncontrolled diabetes, then you're at higher risk to to uh, contract COVID. You're at higher risk to get infections. You're at higher risk for all kinds of symptoms. And once the blood sugars are really out of control, then um, skin infections, sores that don't heal. And now that we have the, uh, well, even even with COVID, we were kind of, um, I guess, hindered in the way that we shopped. I started doing online shopping. And so a lot of people aren't even, when we talk about the nutritious meals, there are people who are not computer literate who won't do online or, or, you know, are unable to, and they have nobody to do it for them, and especially elderly people who are afraid to go into a grocery store. And so it compounds that, you know, here here you are with diabetes, your doctor's office is closed, um, not everybody's doing virtual appointments. Um, you know, sometimes you might have to change caregivers, you're just in the middle of a lot of battles that we are fighting right now. So the stress is definitely a big part of health care, and it has to be addressed. There's just no way around it. And true or false, I mean, stress and anxiety can manifest like this. I could have a baked potato, and my, and every time I've had it for the last 10 years, I could always get a blood sugar reading of, 130. I'm making up a number. Please don't quote me. It was just a hypothetical. Mm-hmm. But under these conditions, I could see that same same time after I test, check my blood sugars after having the baked potato, right now in this moment, the number could be much higher. Absolutely. Absolutely. Because and of so the that's stress. like something that people have to be aware of because we all hate our meters if we don't have good numbers. And so even when under like uh, Keith said earlier, under trying to do the best he can, being mindful, numbers are going off the charts, and it, it, it really could be because of emotions. And I think it, it's, a, it's just such an important thing to clarify with people um, because I, I think without knowing it, you would begin to self-doubt and a lot of anger and uh, might even sabotage yourself with your health because nothing seems to be working, even when I'm trying to do things right. Absolutely, and a lot of people blame themselves because they feel like they just didn't do it. You know, they, they're doing the wrong thing. They don't understand that it's the stress that has that type of an impact. And, Jeff James, you're in this moment right now, too. I mean, have you found yourself indulging maybe things you shouldn't have? How are How are you coping with, you know, what you were experiencing, as you said to me, after watching that video multiple times? No, I'm really trying. I mean, that that's so uh, – I think about it every day, really. Um, I make sure they eat properly. I, I, You know, I haven't been exercising as much, which I beat myself up on, but uh, 
I made a promise to myself to get out this week and do some walking. But but yeah, it's it's, it's a constant struggle. I I know that this this stressful time, I, I want to reach for some comfort food because I want to be comforted. You know you know what I'm saying? And and it's just one of those things that 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 that's definitely on the forefront of my head. It, you know, managing my my own my own status and and uh, and just making sure I yeah, eat properly. So yeah, it's definitely a, a, a number one thing on my mind. And Lisa, you've been an incredible ally to so many people in your local community. You've kind of dedicated time to going to the food bank. I mean, that's another way to kind of help manage the stress and anxiety is probably helping other people. Have you found that to be true? And what has the experience been like for you? Well, yes, because I um, I work from home anyway, but I, something about this just feels different and um some some things with the business have slowed down a little bit and I just really wanted to do something and I have a sewing machine <laughs> so I I um got a request from a organization that was looking a, a nonprofit that needed masks so I got out my sewing machine and I made 100 masks and then um there was a another organization that they normally have churches come in and prepare meals, but they, since the church folks couldn't come in, they were asking people in the community to um, prepare meals and deliver them. And I picked the organization um, because of you, Max, because it was called Max's Place. And, I, you know, I, I got these requests and, you know, there's like all these, organizations all these names and i that just struck out at me max's place so we've been preparing meals for max's place <laughs> so and i picked and it that because made of my day when you told me that i i just uh <laughs> again i, I want to salute you for everything you're doing in the local community for other people i think it's brilliant and um which leads us to our next song uh jeff james sister sold to it we haven't, uh, a lot of us haven't heard from her in a, while, in a while, in my opinion, but I could be wrong. But she really was incredibly groundbreaking, and she really stood up uh, in 1992 when she appeared on the panel for the Rainbow Coalition, and called, which was called the uh, Summit, and it dealt with voter registration and ways to empower black youth. And she was quoted in the Washington Post at the time for saying, uh several things which we'll talk about after we play this song. Uh, why did you choose this? Why why is she an artist that we should listen to? And um, what were your thoughts when you were making yeah. this track? Sure. No, I mean, Sister Soldier is, is my Tamika Mallory. Uh, she, in the 90s, was talking about these same exact issues 30 years ago, when you think about it. And you know, for us to to be at this point right now, it's it's just heartbreaking. But you know, she 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 was very vocal, and you know, because of her, probably you know, we have other activists stepping up. And like like I admire Tamika Mallory so much. So the reason why I, I picked this was that you know the the voice was saying the same thing then, and we should be still you know still vigilant now. around. 
for singing jobs, and that kind of clicked for me. And once I started doing that, you know, I did a, a record or two here in the dance market and then started doing a lot of background vocals. And then from there, you know, people just say, oh, Keith, yeah, he's a, he's a, he's a really good background singer, a really good background singer, a really good background singer. But I sing lead as well, you know, and I have sang some lead songs as well. So however you're introduced is how people remember you. But my question for Jeff is if they've done, yeah. uh, if they're doing, um, did away with urban, the word urban music, what are those artists to do now? Or what are they going to be called now that are urban artists? What are you going to call them now? And how are, this, uh, how are you going to rework their career that is a great. That's a great question. You know, and, and honestly, that that the conversation still is still to be had, and we're constantly having it. Uh, it it's it's gonna it's gonna result in, in something. I don't know what that something is, but you know, I'm hoping music is music. You know, and we we right. everybody accordingly under under music. But uh, I swear to you, man, we are having it, and we are and we are talking about it. But I still don't have an answer for you right now. Okay. Okay. No, I, I love that question, and I want to talk a little bit about the music is music because you know choosing the music for tonight's podcast was um, tricky for us, and I reached out to everyone on my team, Lisa and Patricia and Lorraine, and started the conversation. And uh, Patricia, you're very involved in the faith-based community, and one of the songs I had considering as a possibility was a gospel song by Mahalia Jackson, and um, you you didn't really think that was the right choice. And I want to tell you that I did some research, and, report, and Chris Richards from the Washington Post agreed with you because he said that some gospel songs really present the feeling of total powerlessness to the listener and are strangely self-canceling. And so I don't know if those were your exact thoughts, but I'm curious if you could just kind of elaborate on why a traditional song by gospel song by Mahalia Jackson you didn't feel was right for this moment and this movement going on today around George Floyd and the Black Lives Matter movement. Um, my opinion, this is this is just me. Um, the song that we talked about was "You're Never Lo- You're Never Walk Alone," and we talked about it as being, you know, in my mind a song of oppression. It it seems like you're everything is gloomy and there's doom and you know, you are the song encourages you to keep your chin high, hold your head up high, don't be afraid of the dark. At the end of the of the storm is a golden sky, but it's like gloom and doom. It really is, and, and I looked at that and researched it and realized that it was actually written or first introduced in Carousel, uh, Rogers and uh, and Hammerstein musical. And so it was a song that was used to comfort the widow of the character who had lost his life when he fell on his knife. And so it is like the end of the rainbow or the end of your dreams. Your dreams are being blown and tossed, and you have to go through wind and rain, but 
you know, it, it is a song that tells you that you're not alone in your walk. And I think about it even with the protest and the marches that are going on. It is a song that raises the question as to, you know, who's with you or who's going to stand with you. Do you have any advocacy? But it's not necessarily a song that brings about great feelings, but it kind of gives you some emotional upheavals. I, and I want to agree with you. I mean, at first when you said it, I, you know, when we had the conversation, I was a little bit like, oh. And then, you know, for me, when I researched that song, I had always heard it at multiple AIDS walks. And when I reflected on our conversation in the conversation and afterwards, I realized just what you were saying. It was something to kind of appease me. It wasn't a call to action. It was almost like it's okay we're dying of AIDS, and we don't have to do anything to move forward. And I just, like, in that thought, I immediately, you know, I'm, I'm just joking. I'm not, I don't mean to be laughing. In that thought, I really dismissed it for what you just said, and I think it is really important. And, again, language matters. The message matters. And Keith, probably at no other time, someone like Curtis Mayfield matters. And, you know, again, going back to Sister Soldier, she recorded that song in 1992, but... Chris Mayfield, who I know you're a huge fan, he was doing some of this back in the 70s. Tell us a little bit about this man, this artist, and why, if you're trying to look at different music for inspiration, motivation, call to action, you might want to mind some of Curtis Mayfield's catalog as well. Oh, Curtis is just uh, a great storyteller of time, of what's going on in time. Even with, even, uh, with just uh, his, his uh, songwritings for some of the movies that he was involved in, like Claudine and uh, um, Sparkle and the, the big famous one that's out of my head right now, which is crazy, with the Pusher Man and all of that stuff. Um, those are very iconic songs that will, you know, that talked about a certain period in time uh and some of that stuff is still even some of the stuff that he wrote with for the impressions are still you know moving songs of today that can you know that we're still fighting and still asking and still trying to achieve those same things that he was writing about in those songs and um he was just a like Master P says, don't talk about it, be about it. He was one of those guys. You know, he just didn't talk about it. He was actually, you know, he actually went ahead and he knew that he wasn't getting his just due by working for somebody else and they're on their record company and working for that label. So he started his own label. You know, he made sure that he wrote all of his songs, you know, uh, and kept his publishing, his writing. He owned everything. The same as you know, other great songwriters like Ashford and Simpson, you know, they have great catalog, Reach Out and Touch, you know, a great song of today, you know, that's st- uh, that, that still, you know, uh, gives me chills today when you listen to those lyrics. It's Curtis and folks like that, those lyrics are meaningful lyrics that still stand strong today, you know, and will stand strong throughout the test of time, you know, and then when you look yeah. at the history and see, you know, what, what made them that way, it's just even more enlightening to say, oh, I see why they struggled so hard to to do what they did to keep what they have, 
you know, it wasn't just like I want to be a singer, I want to be popular, I want to be famous. You know, yeah, I want all of that, but I also want to own it. I want to be able to utilize it the way I see fit, the way I see my music should be utilized, you know. And uh, a lot of us don't get that opportunity, you know. So I, 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 uh, I love, I mean, there's, no, there's, there's nothing bad I can say about Curtis Mayfield. You know, every le- from reading his book, every lesson that he learned, he learned so well to make sure that that never, whatever happened, never ever would happen again to him. You know, which I think we right. all need you to. Know, I mean, he 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 was truly unique. But in today's digital age, it is changing where there could be many more Curtis Mayfields. I mean, just James, you work at Sony Music. I mean, a lot of artists could take to digital, you know, you hear this from a lot of artists. We've heard this from Prince for years about wanting to own their music, wanting to do that. I mean, like Keith just wonderfully described, Curtis Mayfield. This is something for emerging artists to think about is going at first digital before then partnering with labels. That does happen, doesn't it? That does. No, you know what? Honestly, I've been talking to a few artists or young artists that want to get into the business. It's so important to to establish a base. And you know what? The digital realm, it's it's there. It's there if you want to pursue it. It's going to take some work and it's going to take some hustle, but but you can get your music heard. I mean, there if you go to YouTube for example, there there's multi-channel networks, MCNs, and mo- multiple channel ne- networks. And like for example, House Nation is under the Nation. I mean, there's Rap Nation, there's Trap Nation. I mean, they're accepting music from people for their channels, and, and they have millions of subscribers. I mean, it, it's great to, to have a record label behind you because it, it can afford you to do things and put you in things where you might not have access to, like, like uh, TV programs or support you in, while you're touring or whatever. But, but there's so many options for you to, to go out there and present your music, really. I mean, it, it's there, and I, and, I agree with, and I agree with you, Max. The, the digital realm is something that more people should pursue, and you could be your own artist and own everything. I mean, and what is going to be the? What do you think the option is now, right now, when no, you know, when uh, live entertainers like Keith and Lisa and I work on a live show for Fandross, like these events cannot happen, and there's so many performers out there who are listening. Who I'm just curious to get your thoughts. They're, in, you know, they make most of their earnings from live performance. Oh. That is going to be gone for a long time. We don't know when it's really coming back. Are, are labels like Sony talking about ways that uh, we could uh, create income streams for people who can't perform live? It's it's gonna be it's gonna have to be part of the conversation. I, I tell you, m- my heart breaks for any artist right now that that needs to to tour and that's that's their living because we, we we all know that's where you're gonna make your money. You're gonna make your your money being an artist uh, by going out there and supporting yourself and and touring. And I honestly, I, I don't have, I don't have the answer. I mean, there's ideas like a drive-in theater type idea, but you know, I don't know if that's realistic. And 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 it's, it's something that we have to have to address, or at least partner with the artist to figure it out. I mean, we are trying live streaming. Don't know how well money-wise that is. At least the artist can perform their song that way, but. As far as like going to a venue before we even have a vaccine, I, I don't know when it's going to be like uh, when, when it's going to happen, man. It's 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 devastating. 
Well, it's affecting all of us because it's even affecting people like you, Lisa, because you are so, like you said, you work from home, you do a lot of websites, you do a lot of building of websites. You've had to kind of like, I would think, uh, dust off some skills, improve some skills to go into this new frontier as we're ultimately, you know, learning iMovie, GarageBand, and so on. What are, what are your thoughts on it? Well, it's, you know, it's really um, forced you to um, think creatively, and at least in the short term, we've been able to, um, you know, help some of our clients transition into a new reality, whether it's, um, you know, doing things um, virtually or, you know, whatever their business model is, helping them to, um, you know, make the most of it. But um, long-term, you know, we just need um, (laughs) – I mean, Jeff said it best, it's devastating for so many things and in it has so many tentacles um yeah. that you know maybe you don't even um think about from um you know rent to um you know I, the list goes on and on and uh it's just it's just very sad but i you know like i said before when i was talking i like to be hopeful so yeah you, you know i just want to add just one quick one quick thing. I mean, for me, in trying to support artists, and it's no way going to replace playing live, but merch. You know, I've been going to artist websites. I've been buying merch to to, to support. Uh, it's just it's just an idea. I love what Lisa said. You, in, the, in these times, you got to think outside the box. You got to think. You know, how can you connect with your fans? And uh, as simple as either you know merch or being making yourself available online for whatever. You know, However, you got to do it, but yeah, I mean that that would be my suggestion. One of them. Right. All right. When we come back, we're going to be talking about what we can do right now to help the Black Lives Matter, to get involved in our communities, to help our nation, as well as talking about the role that allies play in the movement. Maybe not to you, like it is me. But first, we're going to take another musical break. Uh, Jeff, this is I love <laughs> I love McFadden yeah. and Whitehead. You took us right to Philadelphia, <laughs> incredible riots over the weekend and, and marches and protests in Philadelphia. I mean, people showed up. It was, I don't know if you saw it on TV, it was so amazing. Why did you choose this song by Hero Melvin and the Blue Notes? Unbelievable this weekend. Um, it, it's, you know what, we, we keep on touching on, on the points. It's, there's magic in words, and the the right words at the right time it it's it's magic and it, and you know what it it's a straightforward it just tells everybody to to wake up and and be active and and know what's going on and we're all connected so that that's why I picked uh, wake up everybody wake up everybody no more sleeping in bed no more back thinking time for Listen to what 
And I love that story because it was 1955. Eartha Kitt was getting booked in that club. We should set, tell people Dorothy Dandridge was being booked in this club called Macabo. But because Ella Fitzgerald was maybe a little too big, not sexy enough, and also her skin was too dark, they went. They didn't want her to do it. But Marilyn Monroe had been a huge, huge fan. And when she heard this story that her friend and this woman she admired so much couldn't get booked, she made that pledge to Ella, and she carried it through. And I think, like, that's an amazing uh, story that you could find in your heart to say, what can I carry through to help someone? Another story is, is John Howard Griffin. He wrote this book called Black Line Me, Like Me. He was, um, he was a white man. He was blind for a long time, and when he, got his, uh, when he got his sight back, he decided to go on a journey, and it was largely because he realized that uh, we can abuse the gift of sight in order to use it to discriminate against somebody. So, um, again, Patricia, I'm going to you because you brought this book to my attention. Uh, it it was a, um, came out in the mid-'50s. Uh, it was written about the hardships living in the Jim Crow South. Uh, tell us a little bit about that. Yes, um, I, I was impressed by John Howard. Griffin's book that I read right out of high school um, back in the 70s. And so John Howard Griffin actually wanted, once he, um, as you said, once he was able to see again, once he regained his sight, he understood that there are so many times when we close our eyes and we don't see injustices. Uh, we don't want to see them. But he wanted to see what it's like to live in the shoes of a black man. So he actually shaved his head and he took a drug that colored his skin, that changed the pigment of his skin. Um, with the help of a dermatologist, he used ultraviolet lights and this anti-vetilago uh, drug called methoxylin, and he changed his skin color. And for six weeks, he lived as a black man. And he, it reminded me so much of the I Have a Dream speech by Martin Luther King when he said that it was not his character. He was the same person, but he saw such different treatment because of the color of his skin. And so, you know, he was the same man, the same personality, the same intelligence, the same everything. He was no different. But because people thought he was a black man, he was turned away at hotels. He was not allowed to drink from water fountains. He was not allowed to uh, eat in restaurants. He was not allowed to get, um, you know, he had to sleep in boarding homes. He had to um, just do a lot of things that he never realized. And his vision was really changed forever. And has anyone else on our panel read that book or have anything they'd like to add about that? No, I just wrote it down, and I'm going to get it to, to read it. I've never read it, but I will be getting it. Um, I just want to add that he made himself vulnerable to the situation because he was seen by just about everyone as a black man, and he went down to uh, the south and actually started in New Orleans and then actually, uh, I believe, traveled to Mississippi and put his life at risk to do this. And uh, it's an incredible story. Uh, there's a lot of great videos on it that you could watch as well. Okay, and finally, 
Um, if you're just wondering what you may do, here's other inspiration in Ellen DeGeneres who said recently on her show just a few days ago, um, I was I was a dancing lady for a while, and now I want to help educate my audience. I want to educate myself. I think it's time that we have to look at ourselves and we have to say that not enough is being done. So in her own way, uh, you know, she has been so powerful with the LGBT community and coming out in the early 90s. And now, you know, she also feels that now is the time for her to uh, start helping out this part of her audience and talking about this injustice. And I think uh, those are three great examples of people who you might find inspiration in. And there's a lot of wonderful organizations out there. So uh, before we talk about the in, the um, the organizations, I just want to ask the panel, starting with Keith, is social media helpful, harmful, or hurtful, or hopeful in this situation? Do you think that is a barrier in change, or is it one of the things that's breaking down barriers in change? I think it's just doing both. I think what we all as individuals need to do as far as when it comes to social media is just to do a thorough check because lots of times information is being sent through uh, social media that isn't the correct information, and people run with that. They just It looks good or whatever to them, on, so they, you know, share it with others thinking they're sharing, you know, some good information that, that – um, that they can pass on to someone else, but it hasn't been, you know, no one investigated it. It's not true, or half of it isn't true. So it's a pro and con. You have your good things with the social media, and you have your bad things with social media. I just think that with all of us using social media, especially when we're trying to pass on information, check it first before you pass it on, just to make sure that it's truthful. No, um, Jeff, Margaret Brennan on Face the Nation interviewed Attorney, Jeff, uh, Attorney General William Barr on Sunday. He said, I think reform is a difficult task, but I think it's working and progress is being made. I think one of the best examples is the military. The military used to be implicitly racist, a racist situ- institution, and now I think it's bringing the races together and providing equal opportunity. I think law enforcement has been going through the same process. What do you think when you hear that response from our Attorney General? I, yes, I, I agree. There should be some kind of reform. Um, you know, I had a conversation with a friend of mine about, about the police department, and, you know, I just there needs to be a deep psychological analyst or analyzing of the profiling of who they're choosing to be policemen. And it, it, it's just reforming the whole system. I'm not going to go into the whole, like, you know, the, the current uh, defunding, but we need to take a look, and we need to take a look at why the, these policemen feel that they can, can, can be, this, be this brutal to, to us, especially people of color. I mean, is, is it because they're, they're scared or is it the way they're trained? We, we, have, to, we have to investigate that. So, yeah, I mean, we need to take a look at that, and I, I agree. And, and we, yes, we should – reform of the system is needed. And, Lisa, in the same interview, which was Face the Nation with Margaret Brennan, uh, she interviewed Attorney General William Barr, 
he said, I think there are instances of bad cops, and I think we have to be careful about automatically assuming that the actions of an individual necessarily mean that their organization is rotten. Just reacting to the incident by immediately putting the department under investigation doesn't necessarily result in improving the situation. How do you respond to that? Well, I mean, I I do agree that there are some, you know, wonderful police officers. I mean, I'm sure that, you know, we all know, like a police officer, we have a relative who's a police officer. My uncle, I'll give him a shout-out, he was the first black police officer in my hometown in Lemonster, Massachusetts. Um, But, um, you know, there are obviously some um, training and some institutional um, issues going on that um, is allowing this to keep happening and happening and happening. I mean, I'm, I'm, I still haven't quite figured out what it is about the George Floyd situation that just pushed everyone over the edge. I mean, it was horrific, but there have been so many other um, examples and, and with Eric Garner in New York, it was almost identical, you know? And so I think um, people are saying um, enough is enough, but there are a lot of um, good people in police departments and law enforcement. And, um, you know, like Jeff was saying, I don't, you know, I don't know if it's the training or, you know, it's the type of people that want to go into it that need to be um, checked. But, um, you know, everybody is not bad. I'm not sure if that's what you okay. asked me. And, and, they, and <laughs> I, I have to say on the news, they've really been taking uh, Mayor de Blasio to task about what has happened since Eric Gardner. So, um, Patricia, I want to ask you, I mean, there has been some change. Camden, New Jersey Police Department was dissolved completely and forced officers to reapply for their jobs. Uh, these policies have led to a drop in excessive force complaints and some rebuilding of community trust. Do you think this could be a road to a solution? Quite possibly. I I can't really say what the solution is, but um, perhaps, um, I, I don't know, if, if there's a study done and you can duplicate that, if it's replicable and the same results continue to occur, that might be a, uh, you know, one solution. But I do think that prior to hiring that there should be some type of psychological evaluation and a deep analysis as to what motivates the person to want the position. You know, I, I kind of look at it like like rape. It's like the person who rapes is not raping for Sex is for power. And so, you know, are you getting in this position because you actually want to protect or do you want to empower yourself or to be made to look like Superman that, you know, you're greater or you are in an elevated position and you are powered over someone else? So a lot has to be done to really come to the right solutions. That's a very good point. I agree. And if you're Great interested point. in helping in the fight with qualities, you should check out the NAACP Legal Defense Fund. 
Campaign Zero, which is dedicated to ending police brutality, Color of Change, which works to uh, move decision makers in corporations and government who are more responsible to racial disparities, Equal Justice Initiative, which provides legal services to people who have been wrongly convicted, denied a fair trial, or abused in state jails and prisons, and I should say that the NAACP Legal Defense Fund Education Fund is America's legal council on issues of race. They focus on issues of education, voter protection, economic justice, and criminal justice, and we'll be posting all that on our our website along with a few more um, organizations that you could check out. Okay, I want to just get your final thoughts on one more thing before, uh, Jeff, we give you the last word with our last song from one of our favorite iconic divas of all time. But recently on CNN, uh, for Keith, Patricia, and Lisa, George Floyd's second grade teacher revealed an assignment of his from 38 years uh, 38 years ago describing his hopes for the future. In it, he said, when I grow up, I want to be a Supreme Court judge. Uh, Patricia, we'll go back to you. Any thoughts? Uh, I mean, an incredible statement to find that out about uh, George Floyd. Yes, I, I read that. It really touched me that that was something that he um, had said. And, uh, you know, when they talked to his great school teachers, and it, it just goes to show you that it's the criminal justice system that failed him, you know, so it's kind of like a, a, I guess, a recycled type of effect. He wants to be in a position where he can make sure that the law is being portrayed to the right extent, and then he is a victim of the law being turned around, and he becomes a victim. Keith, your thoughts? Uh, I feel the same the same way. I, I also just I'm thanking George as well because uh, like I was saying before, I, I'd mentioned uh, before with some other friends that you know his purpose. This is probably probably this was probably his purpose in life to to for this to happen. So the whole wow. world. And what and what's happening now is happening, all because of that one moment. And if that one moment didn't happen, if that if the world didn't see that one moment, you know, we, we would probably, we definitely would not be where we are right now. You know, where we're forced to look at this stuff and 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 make a difference, stand up and make a difference, be heard, be seen. You know, so I just thank him and his family and and. I just can't thank him enough. And Lisa, any final thoughts? Well, after listening to Keith, I've changed my final thoughts because initially I was going to say that um, it, how sad it is of of his life was cut so short and he didn't have the chance to fulfill his dream, but now after listening to Keith, I'm looking at it more spiritually and thinking that this was the way it was supposed to happen because this was not just a moment of him um, being murdered. This is a movement. His life has turned into a movement. And so, um, yeah, 
it's um yeah i i would like to thank his family too and i also i know we're getting ready to wrap it up but i wanted to ask jeff james when we can i got a sneak preview of the black power um mixtape um on spotify and i wanted to know when i can start sharing it because it's really um fantastic Oh, thank you, Lisa. Yes, it's it's available now. We are going to do a campaign around it, so that's why it hasn't been like out there. But it's definitely on Spotify. If you look, it's ready to be shared. So please feel free to go ahead and share it. it it's definitely available now. Okay. And uh, Jeff, take us into our last song. Tell us a little bit about it. Uh, We're ready to. Uh, thank you all. Yeah. No, this is all. Of course. Thank you, Max. Thanks, everybody. I mean, just think about what Keith has said, and I didn't want to bring it, take it, take it there, but I'm gonna, it's, it's, it's spiritual. It's, it's divine. It, it, it really, think about it. If we didn't have this COVID, if we weren't home and we weren't like sequestered, I don't think it would, would be like this. I mean, just taking it from a music industry perspective and I'll be quick. It would end up being a tribute concert. You know, we would have commiserated at work. We would have been talked about it. It would have been. But for us all to be home and isolated and for us to see this video over and over again, it creates this movement. It's, and, and it is a movement. And, and the reason why I picked uh, Whitney Houston, Higher Love, because that, that same thing, I want to pepper my activism or my, my, my thoughts in that way with a little optimism because we have to be optimistic. It feels different. This, this this moment feels so different, and I feel so positive that this is going to be a change, and and that's why I chose a higher love by Whitney Houston, uh, the Tygo mix. Think about it. There must be a higher love down in the heart, or hidden in the stars above. Without it, life is a wasted time. Look inside your Bring me a high 